Well, good morning, and thank you for coming out on a Saturday morning to talk about my second favorite subject in all the world. My first is the Lord Jesus Christ, and my second is marriage and family. Uh, just a little bit uh, about uh, myself, uh, my wife, Charlotte, and I uh, got married when we were 21 and 19 and have been married for 44 years. We also have been blessed by the Lord with four sons uh, in God's kindness. All of them are in the ministry. And the best thing of all is we've been blessed with 14 grandchildren, uh, eight girls and uh, six boys. And I really meant what I said a moment ago. Outside of the Lord Jesus, uh, nothing has brought more joy and happiness to my life uh, than being married to my wife, uh, being a daddy, and now being a, a grandfather. And what we're going to do this, uh, these two days together is just look very carefully, and we'll have a lot of fun along the way. I promise you, uh, you're going to laugh a lot uh, because uh, strong medicine always goes down better with a smile on your face. And so there will be a number of things we'll talk about that will be fun, that will illustrate the wonderful truths that we see in the Bible. But what we're going to see in these two days together is this. God gives every member of the family a twofold job description. He tells wives to submit and admire their husbands. He tells husbands to love their wives and understand them or work to know them. He tells children to obey and honor. And he tells parents, and in particular fathers, to be encouragers and to educate. And we'll see all this unraveled in the probably most important passage in the Bible when it comes to marriage and family, Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 22, going through chapter 6, verse 4. But we'll also, in our third session this morning, uh, make a segue into my favorite book in the Bible, the Song of Solomon. And we'll see some real wisdom from a single verse in that wonderful little book in the Old Testament. But here's the deal. I grieve that so many people today are missing out on what God intended when he said, it's not good that a man is alone. I will make him a helper who will perfectly complement him. And yet, if we would simply follow the author of marriage's manual, the author being God, <clears throat> the manual being the Bible, we could indeed enjoy what God intended all along. Several years ago, I came across an article in our local paper, the Raleigh News and Observer, and the opening paragraph said this, the keys to happiness are simple. Grow up, get married, have children, and go to church. And if you simply put those four things together, grow up, not a bad idea, get married, have children, go to church, you increase massively the odds that you are going to have a wonderful and fulfilling life. Now, as I said a moment ago, so many people are looking for this, but they're not finding it. In fact, we could playfully say this morning that people are looking for love uh, in all the wrong places. I thought this was illustrated well a couple of years ago. I'm from Atlanta, Georgia, by the way. Just full disclosure before we go any further. Uh, I am an over-the-top, uh, rabid Georgia Bulldog. And so now, you may not like the Bulldogs, but how many of you last January were pulling for Georgia to beat the evil empire Alabama in the national championship game? Would you raise your hand? Oh, absolutely. Only a few of you are unregenerate, and we'll pray for your soul today. I say it with, I know, absolute accuracy that 49 and a half states were pulling for Georgia. 
All 49, excluding Alabama, and half of Alabama was, pull, uh, was pulling for Georgia because there are Auburn fans there. So I'm a Georgia Bulldog, but also Atlanta Braves fan, which I'm sure all of you are Atlanta Braves fans. I mean, you have to admit, last year for me was glorious. After year after year after year after year of pain and, and suffering and discouragement and depression, I get two champions. And so life is really, really good for Danny Aiken. Well, I was reading one day the Atlanta Journal-Constitution online, and I downloaded it because I found this in the uh, personal section, and it caught my eye because the uh, caption of this particular personal ad simply said, single blonde female. And I thought, well, that's that kind of interesting. Well, here's what it says. Single blonde female seeks male companionship, ethnicity unimportant. I'm a very good-looking girl who loves to play. I love long walks in the woods, riding in your pickup truck, hunting, camping, camping, fishing trips, cozy winter nights lying by the fire. Candlelight dinner, <laughs> you'll have me eating out of your hand. Rub me the right way and watch me respond. I'll be at the front door when you get home from work, wearing only what nature gave me. Kiss me and I'm yours. Call 404-875-6420 and just ask for Daisy. 15,000 men called that number only to discover that they were talking to the Atlanta Humane Society about a blonde Labrador retriever named Daisy. So... I think there's a lot of evidence out there that we are looking for love, but many times we're looking in the wrong place. Why don't we go back to the author of marriage and family himself and let him guide us and give us direction. So, in your Bible, Ephesians 5, chapter 25, verses 33, in the manual, turn over to page 2, and what I'm going to do in this first session is talk to the men. And I want to talk about the subject, when a man loves a woman, how to be the husband God meant for you to be. And we're going to see the two truths that I mentioned a moment ago unwrapped. God calls a husband to care for his wife by loving her. And God calls for a man to love his wife by knowing her. Now, God does not leave it to our imagination what he means by love when it comes to the marriage relationship. And so you'll see there on page two, he will care for her by loving her. And Paul explains. It explicates this with five specifics of how it is that a man is to love his wife. Number one, our love is to be sacrificial. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That word love, by the way, is an imperative. It's a word of command. God does not ask. God does not suggest. God commands husbands you love your wives. It's also in the present tense, which means this is to be the, the pattern or the habit of a man's love for his wife. Furthermore, and I love this, Paul grounds his theology of marriage in the atonement, in what Jesus Christ did for you and me on the cross. And so to make it simple, you want to know how you should love your wives, guys? Look to the cross. Reflect upon how God in Christ has loved you, then you go and love your wife in exactly the same way. Which means this, I don't love her because she does lovely things. 
I don't love her because she is a lovely person. No, I love her anyway. I love her even when she's not lovely. Why? Because that's exactly how Jesus loved you and loved me. When our Savior died on the cross and paid for all of our sins, we were not lovely. He loved us in spite of us, not because of us. Now, sometimes guys say to me, but Danny, I don't, I don't really get that. I mean, isn't love an emotion? And I want to be very clear. I do think love has an emotional component. But in the Bible, love is not so much emotional as it is volitional. It's a decision. It's a choice. It's an act of your will whereby you choose to seek the best in another person's life, period. No conditions attached. And the Bible says that's the way God wants a husband to love his wife. But then secondly, this love is a sanctifying love. Look at what he says there in verse 26 and 27. He gave himself up for her that, now I'm going to emphasize certain words, brothers, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, those verses are easy to understand when we think about Jesus and what he wants his church to be. That's very easy to understand. But how does this work in marriage? I mean, what does he mean when he tells a husband that he is to love his wife in a sanctifying kind of a way? Well, let's just do, again, a little theology. What does the word sanctification mean? Well, in one sense, it simply means to be separated. But it has the idea in the Bible of being holy, of being pure, okay? But to make it even more simple, sanctification in the Bible is that doctrine that talks about and instructs us in how we grow to be more like Jesus. Bottom line, that's sanctification. It's growing in Christ's likeness. So, a great question for all of us men that are here this morning to ask is this. Because my wife is married to me, does that help her or hinder her in growing to be more like Jesus? That's a pretty tough question, but it's a good question for us to ask on a regular basis because my wife is married to me. Am I helping her or hindering her in growing to be more like Jesus? Now, again, I've been married 44 years. I'm in the ministry. I'm an ordained Baptist preacher. But I have to be honest. Sometimes I have to acknowledge I'm not loving her in a very sanctifying way. Sometimes the way I love her doesn't draw her closer to Christ. It actually is something more of a barrier. And yet the Bible says, if I'm going to love her in the way God has loved me, I will work. In fact, let me say to you this way. If you only make a disciple in your life of one person, and that one person is your wife, God will be pleased. Now let me extend it out. If you only make disciples in your life of your wife and your children, God will be pleased. But here's what I've learned. If you are working very intentionally to help your wife grow to be a woman of God, and you're working very intentionally to help your children grow up to be men and women of God, that will spill over. And God will use you to make disciples all over 
uh, this part of Mississippi and perhaps even all over the world. And so we want to love them in a sanctifying kind of a way. But now number three, and this is a tough one, he wants us to love our wives in a sensitive kind of a way. Verse 28, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Paul's argument is simply this. You pay attention to you. You know what's going on in your life. You know when you're having a good day or a bad day. And so in the same way that you give a lot of attention to you, you need to work at giving a lot of attention to your wife. Now, I like to use this analogy. I believe when we get married, God gives a man what I call a marital radar system. A marital radar system. Now, unfortunately, it's not completely put together yet. It, it, it will be under construction for like the rest of your life. But God gives you a marital radar system, and that radar system is sending out signals, and it's picking up signals as they come back from your wife. Now, again, when you first get married, it doesn't work all that well. In fact, for some of you like me, when I first got married, it hardly functioned at all. So how do you know that? Well, it's very easy for me to explain how I know that. When we got married, 21 and 19, I think we'd been married about six months. And one Saturday night, I sat down to have dinner with Charlotte. And on this particular evening, she decided that she would fix for us some really nice sandwiches. And they were very nice sandwiches. But then she brought out this Tupperware thing. And when you opened it up and looked inside, well, if you had the aid of a magnifying glass, you might think the crumbled up things in there were once potato chips. But when you put them in your mouth, they were so gummy and stale, you really weren't sure what they were. And so I, I thought I made a very reasonable request. I said, honey, I, I don't like these. They're, they're too small and stale. And I'd like to have some real potato chips. Well, my wife, when we got married, she got over it, by the way, but when we got married, she was aspiring to be in the Frugality Hall of Fame. Now, part of that was because, like all of you, when you first got married, we were dirt poor. We didn't have any money. So she was very, very frugal about everything. So she responded and said, well, um, darling, when this container's empty, you can have some new potato chips. Well, that, that, that was not the answer that I was wanting. So I came back and I said, well, um, darling, sugar dumpling, I walked by the pantry on the way in here. And I just happened to glance as I was walking by and I, I did see a brand new bag of Lay's potato chips. I, I, I doubt they've been touched by human hands and I, I would really like to have those. And she responded and said, well, like I said, darling, when this container's empty, you can have some others. So I did something a man would only do in his first year of marriage at about the age of 21. I stood up from the table. I took her Tupperware thing, and I dumped those potato chips in her kitchen floor. Oh, I know, ladies. You, you stay back. Believe me, I know. S such a man ought not to be walking on planet Earth any longer. I, I'm very much aware of this. Oh, but it gets worse. I stood there, and I was emptying it, and I said, this one's empty now. Why don't you go get them other ones? 
can you believe that she would not go get the other ones? In fact, I cannot tell the story without telling the rest of the story because she will get upset with me. She said, you got to tell them. So she looked at me. She said, well, I'll tell you one thing. Hell will freeze over before I ever sweep those potato chips up. Furthermore, your aunt, my Aunt Linda, who introduced us, she's coming to see us tomorrow. And I'm going to tell her, I wish she'd never introduced me to her sorry nephew. And I'll show her those potato chips and tell her exactly what you did. And she left the room, and she didn't do anything around that house for about two weeks, best I remember. It was not a, a happy time in our marriage for the next couple of weeks. Now you say, so who, of course, I cleaned up the potato chips. Furthermore, have I ever done that again in 44 years of being married? No. Because I have paid attention, at least to some extent, and I realized, that though I thought that was like a really good object lesson to make a point, it, it did not make the point that I anticipated that it would make. Now, here's my deal. Today, I'm 65, 44 years into it. Do I have her figured out perfectly? No. But I can tell you this. I can tell by the way she walks into the room, by the tone of her voice, by the look in her eyes, whether things are going well or not. I can. Because I've been watching her and studying her and paying attention to her for 44 years. And again, I haven't arrived, but if she were here this morning, she would tell you, oh, he doesn't do it perfectly, but he is a whole lot better than he was when we first got married. And part of it lets her know I love her because I'm trying to understand this mysterious creature called a woman that God gave me. All right, by the way, guys, let me just give you a word of encouragement here. When you get ready to die, maybe God will appear to you and appear to me and he'll say to us, time for you to come to heaven. And you might, you know, say to God something like this, well, Lord, I, I can't come yet. And he'll say, well, why would you say that? And you might say, well, in, the, in your word, you said that I'm to live with my wife according to knowledge. I'm to live with my wife with understanding. And I, I still don't understand her. And God will say, that's okay. I don't understand her either. No, he will not. He will not. I'm just playing. God is the one being in all of the universe that does understand a woman. After all, he made them. But here's the deal. It's really kind of an adventure. It's an adventure. Look at it that way. It's an adventure to explore more and more and more this woman that in God's kindness and grace, he's given you to be your wife. All right? And number four, your love should be a satisfying love. Look at verse 29 and 30. No one ever hated his own flesh. But he nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. That word nourish means to feed. Uh, that word cherish means to honor. So question, guys, does your wife feel fed by your love? Does your wife feel cherished and honored by the way you love her? Uh, let me ask it to you this way. If I were to ask your wife, do you believe after Jesus... You have the number one place in your husband's heart. Would she be able to say without any hesitation, absolutely, absolutely. After the Lord Jesus, I know that I matter more to him than anybody or anything else. Now, I'll tell you something, God, if that is true, there will be a satisfying nature to the love that you have for your wife. But then number five. 
Your love should also be a specific love. Just look at the first part of verse 33. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. The, the old King James says it this way. I like this. Let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself. Which means what? <clears throat> it means that you and I are known as a one-woman kind of man. A one-woman kind of man. You're not a flirt. You don't have roving eyes. You're not addicted to this horrible, deadly thing called pornography. No, your wife knows that you have eyes only for her and eyes for nobody else. Now, I want to be very practical here and I'm going to move on. I didn't know it when I got married, but I made a commitment to Charlotte that among ministers is known as the Billy Graham rule. How many of you have ever heard of the Billy Graham rule? Would you raise your hand? All right, just a few of you, all right? Billy Graham, when he married his wife Ruth, made a commitment to her that he honored till the day she died. And that commitment was this, from this day forward and for the rest of my life, I will never be alone with a woman other than you. I'll never be alone with a woman other than you. And Dr. Graham honored that commitment. And of course, we know never was there even a hint of any kind of infidelity or affair or unfaithfulness in the life of Billy Graham. And so I thought, you know, <clears throat> that just there's a lot of wisdom in that. Because if I'm never alone with a woman other than Charlotte, the odds that I will ever be unfaithful goes like way, way down. Now, I've had people over the years, especially this younger generation, they, they'd like to push back on everything, and that's fine. You push, I'll push back. But they like to push back, and they're like, well, I think that's, you know, sexist. Uh, I think that's kind of like being a Neanderthal. Uh, I think that's misogynistic. Uh, you must think that all women <clears throat> are temptresses and they're after you. No, I don't think any of that. I don't believe any of that's true. What I do believe is this. Now, you stay with me. In the Bible, there's a man named David. He was the king of Israel. And the Bible says of King David, you'll help me fill in the blank, he was a man after what? God's own heart. But here's the deal. If you're at the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong person, mark it down, the wrong thing almost certainly is going to happen. Wrong person, wrong place, wrong time, mark it down. King David was a man after God's own heart, but he was at the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong person. What did he do? He committed adultery, he lied, and he murdered. Now, who in this room this morning would be so arrogant that you would say, well, I love God more than David did? I wouldn't. And if David could do that, I know that Danny Aiken could do that too. And I want to finish my life having been true and faithful to my wife. And so I'm just going to put in my life some parameters, some barriers, some protection that will keep me away from those places where I could make in a moment. Here, see, here's the deal, guys. I don't care how much you love Jesus. 
your hormones can shut your brain down. And you will do things in a moment of passion you would never, ever do in your right mind. And so wisdom says, just stay away and be known to everyone as a one-woman kind of man loving your wife in a very specific kind of a way. So the Bible is very clear about how a man loves his wife. But then secondly, the Bible also says we love our wives by knowing them or understanding them. And at the bottom of page 2, I've given you seven uh, items. But I want you to go ahead and turn over to the next page because you'll see the exact same seven things, but just kind of fleshed out in a paragraph model. And what I'm going to do is walk you through this very quickly. And guys, let me say this to you. Uh, Charlie was right. I've been doing this a long time. In all the years that I have spoken, and I have spoken now probably to tens of thousands of women and men, I've never had a woman say to me, you know that list of yours that we went over this morning or tonight? I I'm not like that. Those things don't matter to me. I've never had a woman say that. Never. But I have had women on a break kind of walk past me kind of quietly and quickly. And I've heard many, many times women say this, that list that you went through, that's exactly who I am. I wish my husband understood that. So guys, I'm going to try to help us get down the road in understanding better how God has put together our wives and that we can bless them and love them as we work hard to know them. Number one, and it is number one, be a spiritual leader that is a man of God. Be a man of courage, conviction, commitment, kind of strong masculine words, but also compassion and character, and by the way, being a man of conviction and, uh, and courage and compassion are not mutually exclusive. Jesus was the most manly man who ever lived and let little children would crawl up into his lap and feel perfectly safe and perfectly at home. Now, let me just say this. It does not take a great intellect to be a man of God. What is required is simply a great heart, a great heart. One of the godliest men I ever knew who is responsible in many ways for me being here this morning had a fifth grade education. He was a very simple farmer in Douglasville, Georgia. But that man was my granddaddy, my granddaddy Galloway. And even though not highly educated, just a very simple man, he walked with God and he made a massive impact on everybody that crossed his path, but especially his grandson. So the bottom line is, what is required to be a man of God is just a heart that loves the Lord passionately and wants to honor Him and obey Him. And I want to tell you something, guys. If your wife knows that you're pursuing God in that kind of a way, she will be greatly and highly motivated to trust you and follow you wherever you lead her and your family. Number two. Give her personal affirmation and appreciation. Let's read this one. Praise her for her personal attributes and qualities. Praise her virtues as a wife, mother, and homemaker. And it's underlined for a reason, brothers. Openly commend her in the presence of others as a marvelous mate, friend, lover, and companion. Help her feel that to you no one is more important in this world. Now, here's my thesis. 
I believe most men do appreciate their wives, but that's not the issue. The issue is, does your wife feel appreciated? Most men do appreciate their wives. That's not the issue. The issue is, does your wife feel appreciated? Several years ago, I went to a church, another state, uh, to do one of these conferences. And about two weeks before I went to that church, someone mailed me this anonymous card. Uh, They did not attach their name, and so until I get to heaven, I will not know who wrote this. But think about this. I'm not that well-known, and yet this lady took the time to get my address and write me this card to make sure I got it before I went to their church. I just want you to listen very quickly about what she wrote in this particular card. Dear Dr. Aiken, I hope you receive my card before the marriage conference at our church. I recently married a member of the church, and he, he will be attending your seminar this past Valentine's Day. He did not acknowledge that romantic holiday, and I was very hurt. I watched as my co-workers received flowers. To make things worse, he joked about it in front of one of my friends. My mom told me I should have known what to expect. You see, he never gave me flowers while we were dating. This may sound selfish and petty on my part. I'm just so discouraged. After I come home from my job, I do all the housework and the cooking and the shopping. I wouldn't mind so much if he would just occasionally show his appreciation. The only time he has ever given me a gift is on my birthday and Christmas. It would mean so much to me just if he would just once give me something just because he loves me. I exercise and I try to look nice. I iron all his clothes and I cook his favorite meals. He has thousands of dollars to invest in the stock market, but he has never spent one dollar on a romantic gift for me. I know flowers will eventually wilt, but they are so beautiful. I'm afraid my love will eventually wilt. Will you pray for me? And you know, I bet you if I met this guy and I asked him, hey man, do you appreciate your wife? I'm sure he would say yes. But you see, that's not the issue, is it? The issue is, does she feel appreciated? And clearly the answer is no. Now, you may be like me. I I need some help in this area, Danny. I I want to let her know that I appreciate her, but could you give me like a little... Uh, a little assistance, a little help. Well, in your manual, if you'll just look over at the next page, page four and five, uh, this comes from women, not from men. In Gary Chapman's wonderful book, Toward a Growing Marriage, he did some survey work, and these are suggestions that wives have made to their husband about how to make romance and sex relations more meaningful. You say, well, I thought we were talking about personal affirmation and appreciation. They go together. If your wife feels affirmed, And if your wife feels appreciated, I promise you, that is going to enhance the area of romance and sex relations. Now, I'm not going to go through all 35 of them, but let me just highlight a couple. Number one, show me more affection. Give me some attention throughout the day. Come in after work and kiss me on my neck and ask me about my day. And 
I might add and hang around to hear what she has to say. That, that might be a, a good thing for you guys to do. Number two, spend more time in preparation for intimacy. Number four, make, uh, be more sympathetic when I'm really sick. Uh, number seven, tell me that you love me at times other than when we're in bed. Sometimes uh, just to say, call me, just to say I love you. Don't be ashamed to tell me I love you in front of others. Look at number eight, it's interesting. While I'm bathing or showering, find some soft music on the radio, dim the lights, light a candle. I, I don't get that one. I mean, ladies, what are y'all doing? And they're having a seance or something? I mean, what's the, what's the deal with the, I mean, God gave us electricity. Why, why don't you use it? And I mean, I just, I don't understand. But you know what? I don't have to understand. My wife absolutely is madly in love with candles. If, if, if there's ever an outage in Wake Forest, North Carolina, there's no fear. We have enough candles in our house to light the entire town. It will not be problematic. And yes, she loves hot baths. I, I can't stand baths. That's why God gave us showers. They're so much more wonderful. But she loves those things. And again, I buy her bath salts. I buy her up. She just thinks it's wonderful. She just thinks I'm the most neat thing in the world. And so I don't have to understand it to be able to do it. And I don't have to understand it to know that it blesses her. But let me show you two others that I find very fascinating. Number 10. Honor Christ as the head of our home. Your wife finds it romantic when you are acting like and being a man of God. Look at number 25. Pray with me about the problems and victories you're having. Let me express my own needs to you. Now, let me be fair to all of us men before I move on. You say, Danny, I'm now having brain overload. Like 35 things? No, 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 no. I can't do 35 things. I can handle about two or three, and that's my point. What you need to do is look through that list, pick out two or three things that you suspect would especially bless her, and just start working at it. If you have to write yourself a note, when you get to work, call her on the phone today after lunch. Then put a little note there. Set a little, I know I can't, I'm not, I'm technologically challenged, but I know you can set things on your phone. Well, do it. Then you call her. And then guess what? After a while, it just becomes a habit. Then guess what? You move to a couple of others. Start working on those. And here's the deal. Three months from now, six months from now, a year from now, my goodness, you'll be, be two, doing 10 or 12 or 15 things that you weren't doing, but now you are. And I promise you, she will not be disappointed. And she will not tell you, stop. And just the fact that you're making the effort, she will find that affirming. And it will make her feel appreciated. Now, go back to page three, number three. And this is the most painful one of the day for the men. Show your wife personal affection or romance. Look at the paragraph. Shower her with timely and generous displays of affection. Tell her how much you care for her with a steady flow of words and cards and flowers and gifts and just common courtesies like opening the door. Remember, affection is the environment in which sexual union is enjoyed more fully and more often and a wonderful marriage developed. Now, I don't want to make you guys mad at me this morning. I want to help you. 
So I'm going to be just very blunt and brutally honest for about the next five minutes. But I want to tell you what, I, I, this was free, wasn't it? Well, you should pay $1,000 a piece for what I'm about to give you because I don't care where your marriage is. If you'll just listen to me for the next five minutes, it's going up, up, and up because amazingly, God in his kindness has helped me understand something that 99.9999999% of men do not understand, and that is romance from your wife's perspective. Now you say, well, why would you say something like that? Well, because I used to be in that category. I was back in Dallas. We were uh, been married maybe a decade. I was doing a lot of reading on marriage and family because I'm in the ministry. I do premarital counseling. I do marital counseling, all that kind of stuff. And all these books I was reading kept saying the same thing. Women need romance. Women crave romance. Women want romance. Well, my wife seemed to be a pretty happy girl. So I came home from our church one day, walked into the kitchen where she was standing, and I said, honey, I have a question. Big Danny here. Am I romantic? Folks, she yanked her head around so quickly, I am amazed to this day that she did not suffer permanent damage to her neck. She was looking at me, and I knew immediately by the look in her eyes, boy, you done asked the wrong question. Well, she looked at me, and she began like this. Well, let me say, first of all, I do love you. So if you can't see this coming from a mile away, you just can't see. I could not imagine being married to anybody but you. And, and you are a wonderful daddy to our four sons. But now that you ask me, after 10 years, no. I don't think you have a romantic bone in your body. Well, being the typical male, that hurt my feeling. It kind of ticked me off. And so I said, well, huh. All these books I've been reading say you need it. And she responded very kindly. Well, all those books you've been reading are, are, are correct. I, I do need it. And I said, well, fine. I, I, I might start trying to give it to you. You know, maybe you go buy it at Walmart. I don't know, but I, I'm going to try. And, and she said, well, just the fact that you're going to try. I kind of find that romantic. So I thought, hey, piece of cake, piece of cake, no piece of cake. About two weeks later, the Friday night, the boys were either already in bed or they were out somewhere spending the night with friends. I don't remember where they were. I just remember they weren't around. Charlotte was lying in the floor uh, in a pair of blue jeans. I remember very clearly in a pair of blue jeans and a T-shirt. And she was watching television. And since the boys weren't around, I thought, well, this is romance time. So I carefully made my way over. I bent over and I began to massage her back and neck, thinking this will be a good way to get things going. And after about 15 seconds, she turned around and looked at me and said, why don't you go on and leave me alone and quit bothering me? I stepped back and I said, well, I, I, I thought that was romantic. And she responded, no, it's not romantic now, won't be romantic later either. I knew what that meant too, and so I went to bed earlier that night by myself. There was, there was no future in staying up that night. Well, my wife, um, she, she, she is a very particular person, and she likes this stuff from Avon called Skin So Soft. How many of you know what Skin So Soft is? Would you raise your hand? Decent number. 
but this is going to be very helpful and enlightening to the rest of you. Skin So Soft from Avon is really a nice thing uh, because it does three things for you. Number one, if you got dry skin, man, that stuff is greasy. It will slime you up something good. It will take care of dry skin. All right, that's, that's number one. Number two, if you want to smell sweet, Skin So Soft is what you're looking for. You will smell very sweet, like a flower, like a rose. And number three, and this is glorious, and this is probably its primary and most valuable characteristic, it is a phenomenal insect repellent. It will, yes ma'am, it will keep the bugs off of you. So you get bugs leaving you alone, you smell good, and you're slimed. What a great deal. So my wife will take a shower. At the end of her shower, she will take Skin So Soft and wipe it all over her body, and then she'll wipe it off with her towel. Well, I came into the bedroom, and I was still stinging from the night before, but you know, this is a new day. So I walked in, and her towel was lying on the bed. And I know this is silly, but I walked over, I picked up her towel, and I smelled it. And I said, this towel smells like you. And she said, now that's romantic. <laughs> All right, you're on the front row. So that, that's your mistake this morning. That's your wife, isn't it? Go home this afternoon and say, hey, baby, you smell like a towel. <laughs> it, it, it ain't going to work. I mean, it's just not. And so I, I said to her, I said, you don't have to make fun of me. I, I'm really trying with the romance thing, and you don't have to make fun of me. And she said, well, I thought it was romantic, and she walks out of the bedroom. Now, if she were here, she could have verified to the last word everything that just occurred. The only thing she would not be able to verify is what happened next. So what did you do? What do you do? I prayed. It was a quick prayer, but I prayed. And I said, well, God, this is great. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I'd like to give her romance, but obviously I'm not equipped to give her romance. So I guess, sweet Jesus, you're just going to have to step in and meet her needs here because I'm obviously a failure here. And God, in his kindness and grace, I can't explain it, but God in his kindness basically just kind of in my mind said, well, son, it works like this. And folks, God, it's not, it not revealed like the Bible. But it's, it's inspiring because I'm telling you, I now understand the romance thing. And if you'll just get this, it's just going to bless you and your marriage beyond things you could ever imagine. So here's how it works, okay? Just listen very carefully. Romance, number one, is a game. It's a game our wives came up with. And it's a very specific game. You all know it. It is the game of hide and go seek. They hide it and you seek it. Now, if you find it, it's good. It's glorious. It's wonderful. But if you don't, you can do one of two things. Get mean and bent out of shape and be miserable the rest of your life. Or you can remember, it's a game. Sometimes I win, sometimes I lose. But it's hide and go seek. She hides, I seek. Now, there's a second part to the game. It is not fair, but we don't have a say. It's their game. They make the rules. Now, stay with me. Here's the second part. What is romantic to your wife today? It won't be romantic tomorrow because they move it. They move it. And there's a third part to the game, and it's really, really unfair. But here's the deal. They're so good at hiding it, sometimes they don't know where it is. But bless God, you better find it. 
I mean, I'm like, Charlotte, honey, I'm begging you, Jesus' name, just tell me where it is, and, I, and I'll go get it. And she's like, well, I don't know, but you better hurry up and find it. Now, again, you can get upset about that, or you can just remind yourself, you know, she's pretty interesting. She's pretty creative. She hides this stuff, and even so good at it, she can't find it. But if, if you just pay attention you'll kind of begin to figure out where it is that she tends to hide it. True story. When I was at Southern Seminary, I was at Southern from 1996 to 2004. I, I had spoken on marriage one day, and about a month later, I can hear this guy coming down the hallway. Is Dr. Aiken in? Is Dr. Aiken in his office? Can, he, can I see for just a minute? And my secretary's like, watch, dogs. They're standing up. And I said, no, no, let the boy come in. So he comes into the office, and he says, Dr. Aiken, I found the, the romance last night at 7-Eleven. I said, well, come on in. I've never found it there. I'd like to know what shelf it's on. And so <laughs> please help me out here. And so he comes in. He says, well, last night we'd gone to a church thing. And uh, we were going home. And I had to stop at 7-Eleven to get some gas. And Dr. Aiken, and I have to confess, I'm addicted to the big gulp. Can't help myself. Every time I go to 7-Eleven, I have to buy a big gulp of Coke. So he said, I, I went into the 7-Eleven, got my Coke, and was going over to play for the gas and the Coke. But as I was walking past the coffee, it hit me just like that. In all these years we've been married, I don't think I've ever gotten my wife a cup of coffee unless she asked me to. So Dr. Aiken, they had just brewed a brand new pot. So I went over there, and I poured a cup of coffee. I mixed it just like I know she likes it. I went and paid for the gas and the, and the big gulp and the coffee, and I, I walked out to the car, and I hid the cup of coffee behind the big gulp. wasn't hard to do. Got in the car, and my wife looks over, and she's smiling, and she says, well, I see you got a big gulp like you always do. And he said, yes, and I got this for you. He said, Dr. Aiken, we got home. It was good. Now, I don't know what he meant by that. I, I never followed up, and I don't intend to. But you know what? Maybe your wife hides the, uh, hides the romance at the 7-Eleven. She's your wife. But guys, let me give you one, and I'll move on. There, there's one that's almost certainly true of every woman in this room. Your wife, almost beyond any question or shadow of a doubt, finds it romantic if, number one, you will take out the trash and... Number two, re replace the trash bag. What a novel idea. What a novel idea. You take it out and you, you replace it. Only took me 15 years to figure that one out. You say, you say oh, it's a heart attack. We get married. Uh, my wife says, now, I cook. You clean. You take the, okay, we can do that. So I'd take the trash out, and she would say thank you. But then over the years, of course, you know, after you get married for a long time, you don't have to say thank you for everything. And so I'd take out the trash, you know, and put my life on the line at night. Cold, bears are out there, you know, wolves. And, but, but I'd come back in, and, but she'd just kind of look at me, and that's okay. I, I didn't have to have a pat on the back. But one time in Louisville, Louisville it's cold up there in Louisville sometimes, I, I'd taken the trash out, snowing, sleet. I mean, I nearly froze to death. I got back in safely. And she just kind of looked at me. So I said, all right, all right, all right. What, what's the deal? I mean, what, what's the deal? I took the trash out, put my life on the line. I'm back in safe. And, 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 and what's the problem? She said, well, can I ask you a question? She asked me anything you want. Who do you think replaces that trash bag? God knows my heart. Hand on the Bible. I had never thought about it. I, I, I'd never thought about it. And she responds, i tell you one thing. There's no trash bag fairy in this house. So then I asked a really dumb question. I said, well, 
where are the trash bags? Oh, where are the trash bags? And so she leads me over to the pantry. Now, let me say something before I go on. Ladies, th th this is just a fact. That it, we, we can't help it, so you can get mad at us, but you shouldn't. Men's brains work differently than yours. I know sometimes you think it's not working at all, but it works different than yours, all right? And all men virtually, with only the rarest of exceptions, suffer from a serious malady. We suffer both from refrigerator blindness and pantry blindness. We do. We do. And I think it's spiritual. See, I think there are demons in both that blind me when I go there. I will go to our refrigerator. I need the ketchup. I open it. I can't see it. I mean, I know it's in there, but I, 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 look, I can't see it. And so I begin, Lord Jesus, reveal the ketchup. Reveal the ketchup. Because I don't want to ask her because she'll come right here. And there it is. Sometimes she'll say to me, honey, can you go into the pantry? No, no, I, I can't go into the pantry. I listen, right now, think about it. My, my pulse has just increased. My, my heartbeat's gone up. No, I can't go in there. There, there are demons in there. They blind me, honey. I, I know that what you're asking for is right on the top shelf, big as life, but I won't be able to see it. So she takes me over to the pantry, and sure enough, right above the trash can where it's always been all those years are glad trash bags. And so she says, all you do is you pull it out, and you shake it, and you stick it in, and you fold it up. It wasn't that hard. So now, when I take out the trash, I replace the trash bag. Makes no sense to me, but she finds it romantic. So guys, if you want to love her well, you'll play the game. And guess what? Just the fact that you'll work at playing the game, she will find romantic. All right? Now, I want to honor our time, so let me put four and five together, and then six and seven together. We'll take our break. Number four, initiate intimate conversation. That is, talk with her at the feeling level, heart to heart. Listen to her thoughts. And number five, be honest and open. Look into her eyes. And in love, always speak the truth. Now, let me go back to speaking to her on the heart to heart level and listening to her thoughts. You probably think that's a misprint. You meant listen to her words. No, I did not mean listen to her words. I meant listen to the feelings behind the words because every woman in this room is a master of code language. Code language. And if you are not paying attention, you'll miss the codes and things won't go as well. Classic example, you come home from work, find your wife, say, honey, how's your day been? And she says, oh, fine. First of all, anytime anybody begins to sense with the word, oh, that ought to tip you off to something. But fine, in the tone of voice that she said it, doesn't mean fine, but you weren't paying attention, were you? So you go into the family room and you get the male therapy device and off you go. ESPN, ESPN2, ESPN News, ESPN Classic, the Weather Channel, Fox, and you're, you're grooving. Your heart rate goes down, your pulse slows, but three hours later it hits you. She didn't fix supper. And men always get sensitive when they get hungry. So you go looking for her. She's probably in the bedroom by now, and you stick your head in, carefully, I hope, cautiously, I hope, and you say, honey, it's like anything bothering you? And what does she say? No. But does no mean no? No. No means yes. But it also means this. 
You weren't interested in finding out three hours ago? I ain't about to tell you now. In fact, sweet Jesus is going to return to this earth before you know what's bothering me. Now, you say that ain't fair. It may not be fair, but you should have been listening because in her female way, she screamed at you when you walked into the house, I've had a bad day. And I learned it took me a while. But if I would sit down with her, not turn on the TV, not mess with my phone or my iPad or whatever, and just give her 30 minutes of undivided attention and just let her talk, it changes the atmosphere of the home for the rest of the evening because I'm listening to her heart. And then six and seven, provide home support and stability. Number seven, demonstrate family commitment. The first line says it all. After the Lord Jesus, put your wife and your family first. When I get new seminary students, I always talk to them about their priorities. And I will tell them, when you come here to study for ministry and to prepare to serve a church or to go on the mission field or whatever, your priorities need to be in this order. Number one, the Lord Jesus Christ. Number two, your wife. Number three, your children. Number four, your local church. And number five, the seminary. I will have guys sometimes come to me and say, I, I'm a little confused. I thought moving to Wake Forest, North Carolina is now my number one priority. And my response is, well, you're wrong. Because number one, your first priority should always be the Lord Jesus, no matter where you are and no matter what you're doing. Okay? But number two, your priority should always be the same, your wife. And number three, your kids. And number four, your church. And then number five, and for most of you in this room, that would be your occupation. Fine. But it is not to usurp your church, your children, your wife, or your relationship with Jesus. And guys, this one I do have figured out. I will retire if God gives me help in about five years. When I retire, if I don't screw up in the next five years, they'll have a party or something for me and probably give me a plaque and they'll give me some boxes that I can take to my office on a Friday, put all my stuff in it, and leave with my stuff in those three or four boxes. On Monday, somebody else will be sitting in my chair. About two or three years later, I will not be mentioned all that often. Five years later, I will just be already becoming a distant memory. And when I get to that station in my life, who is going to care about Danny Aiken? I'll tell you who will care. The Lord Jesus, my wife, and my children and my grandchildren. And too many men play the fool in giving their best time to that which ultimately in the grand scheme of things is not all that important. And guys, if your wife knows that after Jesus, she and those kids come first, she will trust you, she will believe in you, and she will follow you wherever you go. So Father, I thank you for this first session. I pray that you'll bless these men as we think well about what it means to be a godly man, a godly husband, a godly father for the good of our wives and our children and for the glory of our great King, the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.